We're going to continue a consideration of the Word of God. What next, after we have been born again by the living and abiding Word, as we've trusted what the Scripture says, we've embraced it, we've appropriated the truth, what's next? Well, why do we continue to read the Bible? After all, once saved, always saved, right? Well, certainly that's what the Bible says in more than one place and in more than one way. Once we receive Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful blessing that is. No one can snatch them out of Christ's hand. No one can snatch Jesus' sheep out of the Father's hand. He and the Father are one. We are safe. So why not just coast after you receive Christ? Just kick back. Forget about it. You're not going to be kept out of the kingdom of God by what you don't know in Scripture. Well, there is much importance that God gives to the Word of God as it relates to what happens after we receive Christ and become children of God. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, we are told why read the Bible. Three things come from this passage of Scripture. One verse, very short verse. Look at verse 4 of Romans 15. For whatever was written in earlier times, Paul was thinking of what we know as the Old Testament, was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So the first thing which surfaces in this verse as to why I read the Bible is it's for instruction. I like something I learned a long time ago. It's kind of hokey. If you don't know what that means, well, it's kind of cheesy. If you don't know what either of those means, I'm out of words to describe it. But here it goes. If you think of an acronym made out of the word Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. I like that. It really summarizes what the Word of God is about. It's a book of instructions. And God gives us the Word of God so that we can be instructed. We know from what we have seen last week that the instructor is none other than God the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, and He will teach you all things. If I understand anything in Scripture, the Holy Spirit's my teacher. He instructs us. And proper instruction adopted by you and me results in our having right priorities. Why do I say that? Well, we know what Jesus came to do. He said it in the book of John chapter 6, I have come down from heaven to do the will of Him who sent me. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. In Hebrews chapter 10, Jesus is overheard saying, I have come to do the will of God. In other words, I have put the instructions of the Father at the head of my priorities. That's what Jesus said. And that is what we will experience if we receive the instruction the Holy Spirit gives us through Scripture. And we don't just assent to it intellectually. We actually adopt it and apply it to our lives. We too will have the right priorities. We will put the will of God at the top of the list. David, the great man of God who is described in the Bible as a man after God's heart. 
This is what he's prayed to the Father. He said, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So, we will have right priorities. If, in fact, we receive proper instruction, the only kind of instruction the Holy Spirit will give or can give is proper, and we adopt it in our lives, the result will be we will have the right priorities. It will result in a righteous life. In Proverbs 19:27, Solomon writes this. He says, Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Now, let me stop here a moment and make an application to us. There will never be a moment in your life, in your journey as a follower of Jesus, that it's not right to get instruction from the Lord. I don't care how many times you or I might read the Bible. I don't care how many verses of Scripture we may have memorized. If we stop receiving instruction, our fate will be that of Solomon's son. Cease, he says, stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. We have this bent to stray. Even though we've been born again, we've been renewed internally, we still have the flesh to contend with. Therefore, we have a way of going off the path that has been established for us. We need continual instruction. That's one of the reasons we come to a place like this, in hopes of receiving instruction from God's Word. But that's not enough. I hope you know, what I can give you in 30 or 40 minutes is not enough. That's why we can... Read the Bible, because it's been given to us for daily instruction. Bring ourselves before the Lord regularly. Well, here's another thing about proper instruction from the Holy Spirit, adopted by us. Not only does it result in right priorities, but it also results in solved problems. Remembering, if we have taken the instruction and we have applied it the way We are told to apply it. It does result in problems being solved. We all have problems. I tried to think, what would be the most common problem represented in this room today? And this is what I would say. On a practical level, probably all of us here, without exception, have had something go wrong with money. Anybody here besides me had that happen? Well, it happens, doesn't it? So I would like for us to see what does God's Word say about money. And this is not a comprehensive explanation, but it gives us something to think about and chew on. First of all, I would say at the head of the list would be don't love money. Jesus says in John, Matthew excuse me, 6.24, He says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Man cannot serve both God and money. Mammon was the false god of money, materialism. But some of the translations actually interpret that to be money. We can't serve both. We can't love money and love the Lord at the same time. There's not enough room. Paul put it this way. He said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, note what he did not say. He did not say Money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is a neutral object. 
It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. So we need to be careful and not love money. And the Lord talked more about money. Do you know Jesus says more about money than any other topic recorded in the Gospels? Why do you think that's so? Because he knew the power of material things. He knew the power of money and how we are so susceptible to be sucked in to the lie and the deception of material things and money. Well, here's the second thing. Don't borrow money. Have any of you borrowed money? Well, I'm sure nobody in this room who's over the age of 18 is innocent of having borrowed money. The Bible says, owe no man anything. That's what the Scripture says in Romans 13.8. We're told, don't borrow money. Now, you're going to say, here it goes. pastor's going to backtrack and kind of play with the Scripture. I don't want to do anything but teach what the Bible says. But there are times probably when if you know pretty well for sure that you're going to get a return on your investment, almost a sure thing, whatever you buy is going to appreciate, that's another story. But quite frankly, there aren't many of those things hanging out there, are there? There really aren't. It's a lot of speculation on our part. We don't know what the future holds. But the Bible says it's not wise to buy, borrow money. Here's why. The Bible says in Proverbs 22.7, it says, The borrower is the slave of the lender. Have any of you ever experienced that? I was thinking about when my son went off to college, and this was in 1997, if I'm thinking correctly. And he kept it from me as long as he could, but then I found out he'd gotten a credit card. And I thought, how in the world did he get a credit card? He doesn't have a job. I'm paying his bills. How does he qualify for a credit card? Well, about that time in American economic history, the creditors were thinking, hey, if we can give a $500 credit line to these incoming students, we'll get them hooked on the plastic, and the result will be that they'll be hooked for life. And these exorbitantly high rates of interest were associated, right? Whoa, right. And I'm not going to tell you what happened. What I do know is my son got out of debt, Finally, it started in college, but he got out of debt. He's gainfully employed. He's taking care of his family in a beautiful way. Really, the Lord's taking care of his family through him. But the Lord says the borrower is the lender's slave. Let me share a personal story. It was 1990. I was 40 years old. I had never had a new car. And I thought, I am tired of just buying that spray you get at the car wash and spraying it. It's the new car scent. You know that one? I said, I want to smell a real new car. So I rationalized, and the way I rationalized it was that at the time, the Chrysler Corporation was offering 0% interest. I said, there you go. I'm not going to pay any interest. I'm just going to borrow the $20,000 this car is going to cost me, and I'll be okay with the Lord, you know. So I bought the car. I liked it. It was a nice-looking car. And what I did not know, and I soon learned, but too late, I might add, about a year after I bought that car, I found out in the state of Texas, there's a law, it's called the Lemon Law. And 
if I understand what that law means is, is in the first year after you have purchased a brand new car, not previously owned, if you have enough bills pile up because the car is such a lemon, you can get a new car in its place or get the money back. But no one told me that when I bought the car. Amazing, isn't it, how they won't tell you that sort of thing? So this car was just terrible. I mean, every time I turned around, I was having to take it to the dealership to get it worked on. The transmission went out was an American Eagle. How many of you even see an American Eagle? I don't see a single one on the road. When I bought it, there were lots of them because it was so slick looking, you know. Oh, my goodness. And so I went to church the first Sunday after that in my new American Eagle. And as I drive in the parking lot, one of my friends was watching this. And his name is Ted Bradshaw. And he came up to me and said, Mike, is that your car? I said, yes, it is. He said, Mike, I was just about to buy you a new car. And I thought, sure. No, I, I didn't. He really, I know, he, he really was. And he had a car picked out for me, a brand new one. It was a Mazda, which... Would have run, I'd still be driving it today, 27 years later, probably. probably. They run and run and run. But there I was, stuck with that monthly payment. I didn't pay interest, but I was stuck with that payment nonetheless. And so I'm indentured to the one from whom I borrow money. Is that true? Those notices of monthly payments just keep on coming and keep on coming. So we need to understand Let's wait on God to show us how He wants to provide for us. Let's don't go out and borrow money because it indentures us, it enslaves us. Let's owe no man anything except to love him, to care for the people around us. Well, here's a third thing. Don't hoard money. Some people have that tendency to just hoard it and count it and think about it all the time, every night, going home. If you have your finances on computer, looking at what that money has done to work for you that day. And just checking, checking, checking. It becomes an obsession. And we hoard and we hoard and we hoard. Now, it's not wrong to save money. But it is wrong to hoard money. Here's one reason it's wrong. If you're a follower of Christ particularly, that money is really His. He's entrusted you with the management of the money. And He also... According to the Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Bible says this. It says, God has given you all things richly to enjoy. It's not wrong to enjoy the things God has given you money to buy. It's okay to enjoy them, provided you have the right perspective on that money. But we're not to hoard it. Listen to what the Word of God says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, and do not say to them, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it to you when you have the power to do it now. Don't say to your neighbor, I'll give it to you later. If you see a genuine need and you respond as the Lord would have you to respond. So we're not given this to hoard. In fact, the Bible says that the reason we're to work in Ephesians chapter 4 is so that we can make money in order to 
supply our own needs, help ourselves in the sense that God has given us the tools to do that. But in addition to that, we can share some of it with other people, particularly people who are hurting. In Proverbs, I think it's 28, 27, this is what the Bible says. He who lends or gives, it's not lends, he who gives to the poor will never want. But he who shuts his eyes to the poor will have many curses. There are plenty of opportunities the Lord gives us in the body of Christ where brothers and sisters are hurting. And we can respond as the Lord gives us indication to respond, to care for such people. Knowing that God will use that in their lives and we will never want when we do such things. He will come right behind that and make sure that we are taken care of. Don't hoard it, but give it as God instructs you. Here's the last thing I'll say about this matter of money. Remember, we're wanting our problem solved. Is money a problem for you? One way or the other. Listen to what the Bible says. In Proverbs, I'm sharing a lot out of Proverbs. It's full of wisdom about so many matters, and money is one of the key ideas. Here's, here's what the Scripture says. The proverbialist says this in Proverbs 37. He said, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you, Lord. Say, who is the Lord? Or I might not have enough and I will steal and dishonor the name of my God. So that's a good theology, isn't it, of money? The theology of enough. And we really don't know what enough is. We have some idea. The theology of enough. Just enough to have what we need to meet our daily needs. For our daily bread, as Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Don't waste money. I won't stop long here, but in the parable of the prodigal son, remember when the father had given his share of the estate to this younger brother, he went off to the far country and the Bible said he wasted his estate in wild living. Wasted his estate. Didn't take him long, evidently. And money goes fast, doesn't it? It goes fast. Especially when you're not listening to what God says about the management of money. So this gives us a sampling of how our problems can be solved in the area of money. You think about any area of problems in your life, and what you will discover is that the Bible is filled with proper instruction from the Holy Spirit And if you apply those instructions, your problems will be solved. Other problems will come forward, but we always go to the book that gives us instruction. And the Lord instructs us. Here's the last thing I'll say about the scriptures as they relate to instruction. Therefore, our having right priorities, they are also for our being people who have our problems solved. But here's the last thing. For answered prayer. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, and this is the confidence that we have before God, that if we ask anything according to His will, 
we know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know what we have asked from Him. Do you want your prayers answered? Well, you have to have proper instructions. Why do I say that? Because we have to know what the will of God is. Where do we discover the will of God? It's in the Scriptures. If you listen to the instruction of God in Scripture, you will get the right instructions about everything imaginable, including the management of your money. But we come to God and we ask Him according to His will. And what does He promise? He will answer our prayer. Jesus says in John fifteen seven, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. That's such a great promise. Isn't that an awesome promise? So notice what he says, and my words abide in you. Now let's pause here a moment and think what he might be saying. I think I know. In fact, I'm sure I know. He's talking about two things. Commands that he gives us. Is that not true to his word and his will? Yes, commands, but also promises that he makes to us. God is not a man, the Bible says, that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he promised and will he not fulfill it? Absolutely yes. So I need to be in the word of the Lord, listening to the Lord, what he tells me to do or not to do. I need to respond properly to those instructions. But also I need to be over here. And what I'm doing over here is I'm listening for his promises. There are over 7,000 promises in the scripture. The Lord puts conditions upon those promises, just like in John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. If you know the promises of God and you claim them, if you're obeying the Lord, what's going to happen? The scripture says God will answer your prayers. A lot of unanswered prayer is due to a failure on our part to put ourselves in a position to be properly instructed by the Holy Spirit from the word. Of God. We are to be men and women who have this kind of commitment. Uh, I'll close by mentioning a verse in Proverbs 19 27. Not the whole sermon, so I'm not letting you out yet, okay? <laughs> but this section, sir. This is a Freudian slip, I think. In Proverbs 19, verse 27. This is what the word of God, actually it's 23.23, I'm sorry. I've already mentioned 19.27, it's 23.23. The Bible says, buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, instruction, and understanding. What is the truth? The word of God is truth. That's what Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The scriptures, we get instruction. And it's so valuable to us. We need that. Well, why read the Bible? For instruction, but also for inspiration. Let's go back to Romans 15, verse 4. Look at it again. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the what? Encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. That word... Is closely akin to the idea of inspiration. We need lifted up every once in a while, don't we? Certainly we do. We all need encouragement. The Apostle Paul needed encouragement. When one of his disciples, Titus, came to him, he was encouraged 
We all need encouragement. And the best place really to get encouragement is from the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Why do I say that? I have already mentioned what Jesus described the Holy Spirit as being. He describes Him as our helper. That word helper is a word that is in the same word family of the word which is translated repeatedly in the New Testament, encouragement, or the verb encourage. They're all part of the same family. The word for helper is parakletos. The word for encourage is parakaleo. And the word for encouragement is parakalesis. You see, just listening to the word, you can tell these words are from the same word family. And the Holy Spirit's our encourager. He gives us His encouragement from the Word of God. Let me use one area. Here again, I was trying to think of an illustration of an area where most everyone needs encouragement. And most everybody here, from time to time, has suffered from anxiety, worry. Do any of you worry? Well, you worry about money, probably. If you've got money, you've probably worried a little bit about money. Do you have the habit of worrying? The psalmist evidently had that habit in Psalm ninety four nineteen. This is what he says. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. A word that is closely aligned with the word consolations, it's a synonym, is found in Psalm 103. I wanted to know, when I saw that verse, I wanted to know, Lord, how can I understand this? Because I've got a lot of multiplication of anxiety in my soul. And I need some help. I need some consolation. And the Lord led me to Psalm 103. And it says this. Forget none of His benefits. The word benefits in the original language. And the word translated consolations in the original language. Not the identical words, but they're synonyms. Used in various places together in the Old Testament. So I wanted to know what the benefits are. Here's one. He pardons all your iniquities. Now what does that mean? Any sin that I commit, with exception of the sin of the blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which means simply to refuse to receive the witness of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is the Savior and the Christ and the Lord. When I refuse the Holy Spirit's witness, I can't be forgiven of that. And it's unpardonable. It's the unpardonable sin. Everything else is fair game for being pardoned. He pardons all your iniquities. And many times we're worried about sin that is outstanding in our lives. May I tell you what to do with that sin? Confess it and mean it. And repent of it. Don't do it anymore. Say, by your grace, Lord, I'm not going to do this anymore. And you know what will happen? As far as the east is from the west, so far will your sins be removed from you. Your sins will be tossed into the deepest part of the sea, God says in the book of Micah. Amazing. And their sins and lawless deeds, this is what the God says, I will remember no more. Gone. That's the way to deal with that. The encouraging word from the Lord is that if we don't forget the benefits and we apply them to our lives, what's going to happen? We're going to be set free of that anxiety. Well, here's the next thing he says. Who heals all your diseases. Now, we know there are people in this room who have some illnesses that they're dealing with. They may be sort of minor in nature. Some of them may be very serious. And we know that the Bible teaches us that, and if it didn't, we'd know it, we're destined to die. 
We're all going to die. That's part of the result of sin having come into the world in the fallen state of not just mankind, but also the universe. But God has healed all of us of some illness. Is there anyone in here who has not had some sickness in your life that you got over? No. We've all been healed of something. Maybe very minor, but we've all been healed of things. God can heal anything. And many times we spend a lot of time worrying about an illness that we're dealing with. And sometimes we're not even sick. It's just in our head. Let me give you an illustration from my life. I guess I was about 30 years old at the time. My son was probably about two, and I had gone to Walgreens to pick something up there. I can't remember exactly why or for whom, but I went there, and as I was waiting, it was probably something from the pharmacy, because I was in that area, and I saw this machine. I had never seen one like it before, but I quickly realized what it was. It was a blood pressure testing deal. Had a seat. You've done this before, but this is way back when now. This was 1980. This was a newfangled deal. So I I sat down and I put my arm in the cuff and I had enough mechanical insight to push the button. And all of a sudden the cuff, you know, the cuff started putting pressure and, and I was waiting patiently. And all of a sudden the numbers came up and they were in the range of too high. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm 30 years old. I'm a pastor of a church. I tell people they are not to worry about stuff. And here I am. I've got high blood pressure. I'm going to die. My son's going to be without a daddy. It's just, I don't know what the family's going to do or the church is going to do without me. And I went home and I was, I didn't say a word to my wife. And I just walked in the room where my little boy was asleep. And I walked in there and I looked at him. I began to tear up. I'm not kidding. I'm not making anything up here. I was thinking, oh, this poor child. I I love him so much and I'm not going to get to be with him. And then the next day I went back, you know, curiosity, <laughs> curiosity killed the cat. I had to go back and I found out there was a sign on the machine that says, out of order. I thought, thank you. It's awesome. This is awesome. And 36 years later, I don't know whether I have high blood pressure or not. I won't ever take it again. I don't know. So, the Lord heals all our diseases, including our fears. Uh, Some of those are the worst diseases, aren't they? The, The diseases of the mind. He goes on to say, He redeems your life from the pit. And that simply means that all of us have a lot of waste in our lives. We have wasted opportunities. We have refused to obey God when He's told us to obey. We've sinned. And we have a real big pile of waste. And that bothers people. The older you get, the more it bothers you. Because you think about what could have been. But what the Lord says to us in His Word is not go out and make a big mess of your life. He never says that. But quite frankly, as Sam sang that song about brokenness, we're all broken Some people are more adept at covering it up. But we need to be honest like that song says. The church, if any place on earth, it's to be the church where people can be real. We can be transparent. Because who are we trying to impress anyway? There's only one who knows us, really, and He loves us. And this should be a community 
where people can be real, can be themselves. Not in the sense of just regurgitating all the stuff that's in you and your heart and that kind of thing, but just being real. Man, I'm struggling. Can you pray for me? Help me. We're here for each other. And we can help each other by praying for each other, but also by remembering and helping remind one another that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. He specializes in taking the broken parts of your being and the tragic mistakes that you have made. And amazingly, He puts you back together in a way that makes you believable. Because you're humble. And it's not about you and your testimony. It's about the saving grace of God in your life and my life. That's it. He redeems our lives from the pit. Are you there today? Are you needing your life redeemed from the pit? Then cry out to God. Be real. Be done with anything less than total Transparency. The fourth thing is He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. That's a great benefit. Some of you are kind of like porcupines. People get around you and they get pricked real bad. They get those things in them and they're hard to get out. And you might say, you know, Pastor, I really want to love people, but I just don't really like people. <laughs> right? And even if I try, I botch it up every time. It always turns out bad. It's just not in me, Pastor. Well, what I would say is, in response to such thinking, is Jesus Christ in you? If He is in you, does Jesus have compassion? Is He loving kind? Yes, He is. And He wants to minister through you. It's a miracle when a person who is not very interested in other people, all of a sudden, love starts coming out of that person's life. It's a miracle. And people are touched and changed. The last thing he says is a benefit. He satisfies your years with good things and renews your youth like the eagle. Can you just see an eagle flying away? Have you ever seen one in the wild flying? They're just sore, effortlessly. And that's what the Lord says. He can renew us over and over and over again. He renews our youth like the eagle. Is that inspiring to you? Does that encourage you? Do you see how encouraging God's Word is? That's just one little piece of the Word of God. And the Word of God has been given to us for our instruction and so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, the inspiration of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Well, here's the last thing. For intimacy. You say, well, where does that come up in this passage? I see no reference to intimacy. Well, look again at verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. We've already talked about that. So that through perseverance and the encouragement... We talked about the encouragement of the Scriptures we might hope, have hope. Now, look at the word Scriptures. Hold your place here in Romans and go to Exodus chapter 9.
And we don't have time to look at the entire message that God gave Moses for Pharaoh. And the way the message begins is, thus says the Lord. And then in verse 16, the Lord continues to speak to Pharaoh. And notice what he says to Pharaoh. Pay careful attention. For this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show, remain in, in power, is what he meant, in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. So go back to Romans. And let's look at Romans 9. From Exodus 9 to Romans 9. And let's look at verse 17. We've looked at Exodus 9:16 now. Romans 8, 9, 17. Look at 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Paul is quoting God from Exodus when he writes this part of the book. Now, he introduces what he's going to say. God, I'm speaking of now. The Spirit introduces what he's going to say in Exodus chapter 9 by saying, The Lord says. But here in Romans 9, 17, he says, The Scripture says. Was Paul confused? Is the Holy Spirit confused? What is he saying? He's saying, when we hear the Scriptures, whose voice are we hearing? We're hearing the voice of God. That's who we're hearing. And so... When the Bible says, through the encouragement of the Scriptures, it's talking about our having the capacity to hear what the Lord is saying. He is confiding in us. Listen to what Jesus says in John fifteen fifteen. He says to His apostles, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends that I might share with you what the Father has shared with me. I would say that's intimacy, wouldn't you? How we are able, if we draw near to the Lord, if we really listen for the voice of God, the result is going to be we're going to hear from the Lord. It's phenomenal, this blessing we have. Let me go one step further and speak about one of the apostles. He is described as the disciple or apostle whom Jesus loved. We know him as John. He's known as the disciple of love, really the apostle of love. You read his writings and his, all his writings are filled with the love of God. Well, let me ask yet another question. Does Jesus have favorites? I don't think so. Among the apostles, was John his favorite? I don't think so, because in John chapter 13, in that same section of Scripture that we're going to look at again in 13 through 17, in that same section, this is what we hear the writer John say, he loved his disciples to the end. Not just John, he loved them all. He loves us all. But John was unique in that he had more intimacy with Jesus. And here's why. In John 14:21, Jesus says, "He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will reveal myself to him." 
Now, John evidently was more obedient to the commands of the Lord than the others were, which enabled him to have greater intimacy. God does not have favorites. God does have intimates, though. And he wants to be intimate with you and me. Do you want to be intimate with God? Do you want to be in, intimate with Jesus? Do you want to have Jesus to speak to you? Do you understand that when Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him. He's talking about a relationship one-on-one with anyone who hears his voice and lets Jesus in to the deepest recesses of his or her life. Notice he does not say, I will come into them and dine with them and they with me. No, he says, I've got a table for two reserved for you. It's got your name on it, Mike Woods. And I have reserved it for you and me. I would want to sit down, Mike, sit down, just sit down here. I want to have that kind of relationship with you. Do you know what that amounts to? David, I've referred to him, man after God's heart. He writes, it's recorded in 1 Chronicles 16, 11, Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. That means seek His face continually. Quit seeking my hand. I think God sometimes just gets really... He can't get nervous because He's God, but I'm sure it bothers Him when I'm constantly coming, Do this for me, Lord. Do that for me. We are His children. He does everything for us that we need done for us. But how about just coming and sitting with me and just spending time with me? That's what the Lord would say. Think about it, parents. Wasn't it a great day? And some of you haven't gotten there yet. But wasn't it a great day when your son or daughter came and called or came to see you and they didn't ask you for something? Wasn't it great? It was, wasn't it? They just wanted to be with you. Wow, you knew they were getting mature when they just wanted to be with you. Right? And that's the way it is with our Heavenly Father. He wants to be with us. Jesus wants to be with us. And the way we get close to Him, we sit down with Him, we open the Scriptures, and we ask Him to speak to us. And lo and behold, miracle of miracles, He does speak to us. He has a customized message right out of His Word for us regularly. And even if we don't get that message, it's so nice to be with Him. Because the Bible says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Are you lacking in pleasure in your life? Are you constantly having to go somewhere and spend a lot of money to have joy and pleasure only to discover within an hour or two after you've had that great pleasure, you've got to go search for another place or another kind of experience to have that kind of pleasure? When it's for hours, it's ours. If we know the Lord and we accept His invitation to be alone with Him, to listen to His Word so we can develop intimacy with Him. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Do the math. Better is one minute in intimacy with the Lord 
than a thousand minutes spelt, spent anywhere else. Unbelievable. So, how do we read the Bible for intimacy? We have to listen. Quit talking so much. Listen. Listen to Him. Listen to Him speak to you. He will. If you'll say to Him, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. Believe me, He will teach you. He'll say to you what you need. There was an incident which occurred in the last week of Jesus' life. You're familiar with it, perhaps. It's recorded by Matthew in the 22nd chapter of Matthew. And some Sadducees, these were the liberal religious leaders. They didn't believe in the miraculous. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They just thought, this is all you got. There's nothing more. They were the leading business people of the day. And they came to him and said, there was a guy who died. He left his wife. And according to the law of Moses, he was supposed to be sure before he died to let his brother know that his wife was going to be widowed and his brother was supposed to take over and be her husband. And as the story goes, they were like, all brothers died. They were like seven total. And so they asked Jesus, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? They didn't believe in the resurrection. But they were trying to trap Jesus. And he said, none of them. There is no marriage in heaven. And then this is what he said to him before he said that answer. He says, you know neither the Scripture nor the power of God. Scripture is for instruction. It's for encouragement. It's for developing intimacy. It's been given to us. It's a great gift. There's no greater gift outside of Jesus than the Bible. Because we hear the voice of God in the Word of God. You know neither the Scripture. Do you know the Scripture? Well, you can learn it. The Holy Spirit will teach you. You don't have to be a person who's had formal theological training to understand the Bible. Just open the book and have fellowship with the Lord. If you know the Scripture, do you know the power of God? That can only be found in intimacy with the Lord. And the fact is, we don't even know it when we have it. That's the interesting thing. Like when Moses, when he went into the tent of meaning to go into the Holy of Holies and stood before the Ark of the Covenant, he came out and something about him scared the people to the degree they said, please cover your face. His face was shining. Why? He had been in the presence of the light of the world. He had been in the presence of the Lord. And He was different. He was transformed. And that's what happens to us. The power of God transforms us. And we have the power of the Spirit to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. Actually, it's His life being lived through us as we trust Him. Let's pray. Lord, help us to hunger and thirst for intimacy with You. Thank You, Lord, that we don't have to be in doubt as to how that can be experienced. It comes from our listening to You speak through Your Word to us. For instruction, inspiration, and Lord, for intimacy with You. Thank You, Lord. 
Thank you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.